Welcome to episode 68 of Therese Talk. I'm your host, Therese Main. By day, I co-host a morning radio show on a network in New York and Pennsylvania. By night, I'm a podcaster. If you're a woman like me who loves Jesus and just wants to serve her family and community a little better, you're in the right place. One day can change everything. No one knows that better than Kechiakuchi. She was just a teenager when a day of travel changed it all. Ultimately, her journey brought her closer to God. She's written a book about persevering in the midst of what could have caused so many others to turn from their faith. Thanks for being here. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Now, when you were just a teenager, you were involved in a horrific plane crash. Most everybody on the flight did not make it, but you did. That doesn't mean that you didn't have serious injuries, uh, very bad burns over much of your body. There must have been so many things you went through, first of all, being a teenager and realizing that life had changed profoundly for you. Oh, definitely. It was a very jarring thing to kind of be thrust into a whole new reality. You know, before the accident, the most important thing in my life at the time was SATs. You know, I was going home to start studying for the SATs because I was a senior in high school. And my only like problems at that time were, you know, what school do I want to get into? And will I get the right grades for it? Am I going to leave the country to go to school? You know, that was like college. That was it. That was the next stage of my life. And you were born yeah. in Nigeria. So is that where you went to high school? Yes, that's correct. So I, I went to high school in Nigeria, a boarding high school. I was thinking about college in the UK, actually. I had family in the UK, still do. And so I was going to hopefully get into um, a school in the UK so I could be somewhere different, you know, where the school system was a little bit better when it comes to higher education and at the same time still be close to family. And then you ended up in Houston. How did that happen? First of all, after the accident happened, I was first flown to South Africa, which is the first place I received emergency treatments. I got there uh, with uh, third degree burns over 65% of my body. So I was pretty badly injured. And South Africa basically saved my life, brought me back from the brink. And then I came back to Nigeria where I waited for Shell Hospital to find a hospital for me um, in America or Germany that would be able to care for the level of burns I had and give me the right reconstructive surgeries that I needed. So that's how I ended up in America in 2007, two years after the accident. And I've been here ever since. I came here to be treated by Shriners Hospital for Children in Galveston, Texas, now Shriners Children's Texas. As a 15-year-old, I know a lot of people are very fluid in the things that they believe, the big picture things, but what was <laughs> your faith like before the accident? Oh, my faith at that time was definitely, I would say, obligatory. I would say I believed because my family believed. I believed what they believed. I guess as a child, it was that. And then I got into teenagehood and it became more of like, okay, God exists. I believed in him. Even then, it was really just about seeing him as a disciplinarian, you know, as a person who punishes you when you do bad things and rewards you when you do good things. And I also kind of... um just saw him as, you know, this, this being that I only interacted with on Sundays, you know, during fellowship or, you know, at church, I hadn't developed anything like a personal voluntary relationship with him at that point, even though I did believe in him. Was there a time because of your beliefs after the accident where somehow you felt like this was a punishment? 
That's interesting. I never felt like it was a punishment, but I did feel that oftentimes he wasn't listening to me. I did feel like oftentimes he was just leaving me to handle things on my own, things that I felt were too big for me to handle alone. So it was really a matter of um, dealing with abandonment issues, kind of like with the dad, (laughs) as opposed to feeling punished. Yeah, it was just like a lot of times I just cried out to him, like, like, can you help me? You know, things like that. (laughs) There were times because after I found out, I didn't know about the fact that everyone else was gone except Mm -hmm. two people. So when I found that out, you know, it became like a like, how could you let this happen kind of thing, you know? What is your view on the accident now and especially God's role in it? Bad things happen to good and bad people equally, no matter what you believe. Being a Christian, it doesn't exempt from going through bad things. It doesn't exempt you from suffering. Rather, what it does, what God's role in that when bad things happen, what it is, is a place to go to, to seek refuge when bad things happen, a place of comfort, a place of solace. That's what he started to represent. So he didn't cause bad things to happen, but he was there when bad things happen. He was there in spite of bad things happening. He's a place to be, he's a place to go to if you want to heal in the best way possible from the bad things that happen. So um, I think that's now my view on, on what happened on everything and on God. And, you know, that's not something that happened just, you know, like naturally for me, it was something that, um, I learned as time passed and my support system, my mom, you know, my grandma, people around me, they ministered to me and taught me about God and helped me to see things in that way. So, you know, it didn't happen in a vacuum, that kind of thinking or that perspective. And, um, I'm grateful for it because I think, I think thinking that way has helped me, you know, um, given me a purpose really also, you know, because I'm able to kind of um, see my life as as a, a, a good thing that came out of a horrible thing. And so it makes me want to live my life for the people that, you know, lost theirs. There are so many accounts in scripture of people wrestling with God emotionally, <laughs> even physically. Did you find, <laughs> yeah. I would imagine, I mean, after being in a hospital after having so much pain after surgery after surgery that you must have wrestled with God a lot. Oh, definitely. I struggled, you know, and after the accident, I have to say, I saw myself as, I mean, even though I knew I had known God since childhood, it was really during that time, that time in South Africa, I was there for seven months and that was during the worst of the accident right after it happened. And I think during that time is when I had my biggest struggles when it comes to faith, because I was a brand new Christian, like for all intents and purposes, that was really the beginning of my relationship with God. One that I actually sought out for myself. And I was learning about him through my parents. I was learning about him through my family and through the Bible. My mom was doing such a great job trying to like, just teach me about him in a, in a way that wasn't like um, aggressive, you know, but just very gentle. And so this brand new relationship with him was so easily shaken up by the circumstances I was in. And then the truth that like everyone was gone. So I struggled so much with seeing him as a good God, seeing him as a God that cared about every single person equally. It was kind of difficult because I saw him as a place to be when, because whenever I prayed, I did notice a difference in like the peace I had inside me. But then, you know, I struggled whenever I lost that. I felt like I kept on having to fight to have that, you know, and to access that. And 
I didn't understand why he was making me struggle so much when I was already struggling so much physically. You know, I, I really wanted things handed to me as easily as possible when it came to faith. But I learned the hard way that like, you know, it, it doesn't work that way. You know, it's something that, you know, like people always say faith is a muscle. It's something that I had to keep on working to, to, to maintain and to, to have a deeper, like to have deeper access to, and, and to have a deeper relationship with him, even though I was going through this, what I was going through right now, but ironically, it was never, that was, it was the most important time for me to, to do have that struggle with faith because it, I feel like that was the best time for me to go through what I was going through, because if I was in a good place, you know, chances are, I may never have even sought him out the way that I did, you know? So I feel like, um, and also just seeing him as, as someone that was, you know, that cared, you know, what happened to me, you know, um, seeing him as not someone to blame for what happened, but someone that actually, you know, cared that this happened and wanted to help me overcome it. You've now written a book called More Than My Scars, and one of your goals was for people to see beyond the surface of you, because to look at you, it's obvious that there has been a traumatic event in your life. Mm -hmm. But to get beyond that, what do you want people to know about you more than your scars? I want people to always be able to access the real me despite my scars. You know, I, I walk around and, and I know that this physical appearance, you know, it is uh, almost like a shield, like a wall, really, that everyone has that needs to be like, over, like penetrated or that needs to be climbed over to really access the truth of what a person is. Now, when you're just a normal looking average person, it's easier to climb that wall because, you know, there's nothing, the physical is, is normal and expected. So, you know, there's no, the, the barriers to seeing who a person really is, is not very high because they just, there's nothing extraordinary about, about their appearance that's making you um, hesitate, you know, really. But when you look physically different in a world that is kind of demands conformity, kind of demands like, you know, normal, you know, the, the definition of normal is, is um, not anything like what I look like at the very least. So, when I see people, when I meet new people, even when I meet, like, even when I had, when I met my friends, you know, after the accident for the first time, um, I knew that this was going to be a very high wall, you know, but I also recognize my role in helping them climb that wall. Because if I walked around my head down, wearing long sleeves, covering up everything about me, covering up my face, Ironically, when I meet people, that's really all they're going to see. They're all just, they're just going to be wondering what I'm hiding and just, just going to be so, it's going to be so obvious that I'm so self-conscious about my physical appearance. And that I think would bar them from seeing anything beyond that, even though that's the one thing I'm trying to hide. But I feel like when I approach people just as myself, wearing what I want, being myself and not overcompensating to make them comfortable, just being me, that gives them more of a chance to to relax around me and to see beyond what they can see on the outside. So I think I recognize my role, the role that I play in helping them see beyond my scars, to see everything else about Ketchy that, um, that makes me who I am, you know, and, you know, incidentally, those are the more important things than the physical, I would say. So it's definitely something that I think I'm grateful. It doesn't really take much effort for me to do that. I just, 
I'm grateful that God just gave me the ability to just be myself, no matter what kind of space I find myself in. And I think that that is a big, that plays a big role in how people are able to um, perceive me. You know, we all have different kinds of scars. You know, mine are just more visible than, a little more visible um, than others might be, but invisible scars are are real too. Mm -hmm. And I want people to be able to see that we are all more than those scars that we have, more than our trauma. And we have it within us to help people to see beyond that trauma or that scar. Writing this book wasn't easy because part of what you had to do was revisit the most horrific day of your life. Yeah, it was hell, I have to admit. It was just, I really just struggled with going back to those memories. Those were, those that part of my journey, if I waited until I was ready to delve into those memories, I would never have written this book. And that's just a fact. South Africa's memories are, that's, those are memories that I would rather leave buried and forgotten forever. They happened, they're done. And I never revisited them ever again, moving forward after they happened until I had to write this book. And I knew that it was going to be difficult to write this book without going into that because that is a major that time frame is when a lot of foundational perspectives that I have now were formed and I could not write a book without addressing where like the origin essentially of the catchy that you see here today so it took me a, while, a really long time and there was a lot of like just stopping and starting and crying and praying there was so much praying because I just needed to get to a place where I could look back at that time and write it without being too emotional. But at the same time, not writing it in a way that would like just be like uh, like journaling. You know, I had to write about the events and then put in how I felt in the important moments, you know. So that was why it took so long. And um, I did my best, really, to tackle all those things. And I have to say it was kind of cathartic in the end. You know, I faced things that I had I had spent like what 15 years trying to not face and it was definitely much needed a much needed confrontation of my past who are you thinking of when you wrote this who are you hoping will read this book is it meant for burn survivors is it meant for people who have had trauma is it meant for people who are seeking God in their own way all of the above. You nailed every single one of them. But I would say, most importantly, for anyone who has gone through trauma, I think that is the first demographic I'm hoping to reach. I want people to feel less alone in what they're going through. You don't have to go through something as, um, I guess, dramatic as a plane crash for your trauma to be valid. And I want people to be seen. And I also want them to see the process, the gritty part of of overcoming trauma to re I, I hope that they can relate to it in some way. And I hope that people who have this perception of me, of this confident burn survivor who just goes about doing her thing, that is me. And, I, and I'm, I'm grateful that I can be this way, but it took a lot to get here. And I want people to see that, you know, nothing, nothing good, nothing worthwhile comes easy. None of this came easily to me. It wasn't, it didn't come naturally to me. There was a struggle. There was a process. And that's really the truth about life and anything, isn't it? Like, you know, nothing good comes easy. You earn, you have to earn things that are valuable, things like that. And I want people to kind of see that in my message. So this is for 
any trauma survivor, anyone currently going tr through trauma and, you know, hoping that I can reach them and, and help them see that, you know, it is possible. There is a light in the tunnel. There is life after that trauma. You know, I hope that I hope that this book shows them that. And I hope also, of course, always that in everything that I do, that you can see God in it, not in a way that's pushing him onto you, but showing showing a person what God has done in my life without imposing him on a person, I think is the best way to kind of let people see the truth of him and be curious enough to see the truth of him in their own lives. The foreword of your book is written by Simon Cowell, who is not notoriously <laughs> a nice guy. However, <laughs> you had this crazy idea somewhere along your journey that if you were going to be bold enough to be forward with people about what happened to you, that going on a national stage was the way to do it. And so <laughs> he went, that's not the probably the way that most therapists would recommend, but it seemed to have worked for you. Tell us about America's Got Talent. Oh my, America's Got Talent. Wow. That was surreal. That was a surreal experience. Um, and funny you should say, yeah. So getting on the show, being on that show, I did not um, put myself in that position directly. That was not a catchy decision. That was actually one of my best friends who signed me up for the show without telling me. So I've always loved singing, yes. And my voice did kind of go through a weird change after the accident where it just, something just, the quality of it just changed, became different in a good way. You know, um, so I, I did start singing even more after but to put myself on that kind of platform would never have occurred to me, even though I had people around me telling me that I, I should. And one of such people was my best, one of my best friends. Um, so Wami basically, her name is Wami. And she basically just like would send me, you know, the application or she would send me like, you know, whenever they're doing like um, open, like, you know, calls, you know, for people to come and audition in person, things like that. And I would just ignore it because I would never, I mean, why would I do that? I didn't think my voice was, you know, that like good enough to be on the competition, but she just kind of like took matters into her own hands and signed me up and changed my life henceforth by just that one single thing. And honestly, I got to a place where I had to decide, you know, yes, she, she put that first foot forward for me, but I got to a place where it has to be my choice to kind of continue to, you know, move forward with this. And I'm really happy I did because they not only gave me more confidence in my voice, in my sound, but they gave me, they planted inside me a hope, a possibility, a dream of a career in music, you know, doing, actually making music a part of like my career goal. And that's something I'd never considered before AGT. So after the show, the platform that I had built, you know, on different social media um, um, sites, it's something that allowed me to con continue sharing my voice with the world and sharing my story with the world in a way that hopefully would inspire them, you know. So I have the show to thank for pretty much everything that has happened since. So I'm grateful to them for for giving me that chance to kind of show myself to the world in this way. And I'm grateful to Simon specifically for just feeling impacted enough by my my appearance on the show to actually be willing to do my forward for my book. You know, I felt really supported by him ever since I met him. I feel that he appreciated my story and appreciated um, my strength. You know, he saw something in me 
that um, made him want to root for me. And I'm just so grateful because, you know, I mean, I knew of him before the show. I watched all these shows like everyone else. And, you know, I, I know how he is and how he can be. So I'm happy I got to experience, you know, his good side. <laughs> do you also cry every time somebody gets a golden buzzer? Because I do. It's impossible not to. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they play that music. The Are confetti. you kidding? They know what they're, they know how to do it. Oh, they get you with the music, with everything. They're... I have, I mean, the show, they are, they are pros at what they do for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for being so bold to write your story and to share it with us today. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Therese, for having me. It's been a pleasure. Ketchy's book is called More Than Scars. You can find a link to her website in our podcast notes. If you've enjoyed this episode of Therese Talk, be sure to subscribe and look for the next episode on Tuesday morning. If you really loved it, consider making a gift to Family Life, the ministry this podcast is a part of. Just go to familylife.org and find out more about what we do. Did you know Family Life offers a variety of podcasts, get up to date with Family Life News, or enjoy some family time with Family Life Kids. There's the Parable Podcast, bringing you hope and encouragement through the teachings of Jesus. Those and more, all free and on demand at familylife.org slash podcast.